that you know we had uh, predicted the weather six months ago. That's why we moved to 10 a.m. next week, so it all works out for you. So you're welcome. Absolutely welcome. You doing okay? Enjoying the World Cup? What about the Germans, eh? Cheats? You can't cheat when you score a free kick like that. It's class. Not okay, okay, then let's, let's move on. Let's move on. Uh, my name's Jason. If this is your first time here, you're very, very welcome. Uh, thank you for coming to Vineyard. Thank you for uh, being very brave and uh, coming along. I know that coming to church for the first time for many people is not easy. So you're so welcome. I hope you're experiencing Jesus and friendship and welcome here this morning as we begin a brand new series. A brand new series. It's summertime, right? And the nights are on the turn. <laughs> Thursday was the longest day. And you can see it getting darker already. Not belong to, <laughs> not belong to Christmas. Um, I love a good old story, don't you? Uh, I think we all do. We all love a yarn. We all love a story. And, and living in this beautiful country, we are a nation of storytellers, poets and artists. And if you look at the size of our nation and even the depth of writers that we have in this nation uh, from years gone by to today, it is phenomenal. Even names like W.B. Yeats and, and uh, yeah, W.B. Yeats, <laughs> uh, uh, Seamus Heaney. C.S. Lewis, okay, okay, Jason Scott, uh, phenomenal, phenomenal writers right across the world renowned. And so we love to tell stories, and there's some stories we're absolutely proud to tell, and there's other stories we want to skip over, right? So what I want to do this summer is I want to help us tell a story. And what I'm going to do is we're going to set up the next couple of weeks talking about how to tell a better story and how to allow God to rewrite our story. Maybe some of us need to do that. And then in the midst of that, during July, we've invited some friends that are from this community, some friends that were part of this community and have gone and done some mission work and are uh, elsewhere, come back and tell their story. And then we've got a brand new couple that we are just uh, getting to know who are going to plant the church and they're going to come at the end of the month and they're going to tell you their story too. So it's all about the storytelling. But here's the thing, and I think I mentioned this last week, and it's, it's, it's um, I don't know if it's totally helpful, but in our culture in Northern Ireland, we, uh, we want people to invite Jesus into their, their heart. That's, that's a given. We want Jesus to be your friend. That's what we were singing about today. We want Jesus to be your savior, uh, to be the one who steers your life, the one who writes your story. We think Jesus is the best thing. And Jesus is good for society, he's good for your life, he's good for family, he's good for community. Jesus is wonderful. And there's a lot of people in here who found him to be their best friend and have said their yes to him and are started to follow him. But one of the things that I'm kind of nervous about when we invite Jesus into our lives is that we invite Jesus into our life. Does that make sense? Let me say it again, just so the penny drops, because you think I've lost the plot altogether. It's that I'm kind of nervous that we invite Jesus into our lives instead of us falling forward into his life and his story. And, and, and again, that Jesus wants to come into your heart. He wants to come into your life. He wants to come into your family, to your community. But more than anything, he wants you to become part of his story. His story is a better story than your story, guarantee it. And uh, when we do that, it's, it's a better way to do life. In fact, let me say it this way. The day life really turns the page is when you let God become the author of your story. I found that. I don't know anybody else found that to be true. 
The day that you... The day that the pages really turn for the good in your life is the day that you let God be the author of your story. At least that's my experience. I can't speak for everybody in the room this morning, but my experience is the day the pages really turned is the day that I let the author become my storyteller. And so I want to encourage you this summer to let God write your story. And when you allow God to write your story, you'll have a story to tell. Not only will you have a story to tell, because we all have stories to tell, you have a story worth telling. You have a story that's so good that you just don't want to keep it in, that you'll want to tell. So today, as we start a brand new summer series called My Story, I want to ask you just a quick question. How many of you love a good story? Yeah, we all love a good story. That's why the cinemas throughout recession have never gone into recession. Do you know that? Even through the, the, the depths of recession, the thing that kept going, in fact, it, 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 it soared in box office was movies. Because in the time of depression, in the time of lack, people love a good story. There's nothing new in that. And we have the best story of all to tell. It's the story of God, the story of the kingdom. And so we all have it. We all love it. We, we've got a story to tell. Did I tell you the time when? I won't. But that's how we begin our lives, isn't it? It's how we begin our weeks a lot of times. It's how we, we engage throughout the week with people. Did I tell you the story when? Did I tell you the story when? Or did I ever tell you this one? We've got stories that we love to tell, but unfortunately, if you're like me, I've got some stories I'd rather leave untold. Or at least entire chapters of my life I'd rather not tell anyone. Maybe uh, even some of you out here this morning, maybe you've got some stories you'd just like to edit. Have you ever done that? Just edit the script a little bit. That you don't you want to tell the story, but you just maybe change it. Uh, it's not it's not significantly changed. It's just a little bit. Uh, some details that you've choose choose to forget, right? And especially when you get older, like my. Can I say this? I used to get awful hammers when I was a wee boy. What for? Why I don't know. But then this, the 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 older my mother gets, she says, you know, as a son I was wonderful. I, I think she forgets some things, and then she says. You were, never, you were never chastised as a child. <laughs> Seriously, ma. Think about that. Or the stories we love to, to edit. Seemingly insignificant decisions also have a significant story to tell in their lives, don't they? They really do. When you look back in your life, wow, I can't believe that I did that. I can't believe I did that. That's a decision has impacted my story. The other side is true as well, as the stories are positive. Some great stories. But then again, there are some stories that they're just not so positive. Seemingly small decisions that impacted our lives in a negative way. And unfortunately, that's just a given if we live in this world at all. I like, look back and I think, I wish I had started that. And then I look back and think, I wish I hadn't started that. Um, Mass was never my strong point. I can think back on stories. Uh, it was the second part of the mass paper in CSEs, at CSEs in those days. And I was caught with a, a, just an enormous decision at school. It was Clondermott uh, Secondary School. Then it became a high school. They built steps onto it. Okay, whatever. And so uh, one day we were doing the second part of the mass test. And these guys, the fourth years, were playing football. So I was like, will I play football or will I do the math? So I played football. And so that impacted my life. Um, that is not an encouragement in any way. That is not a steer. That is a rebuke. Okay. 
Yeah, okay. <laughs> Head of maths. Uh, decisions that we make today determine the stories we tell tomorrow, right? There's some stories we love to edit and we just we shape them about. I, I have another great story. I, t- I slightly edit this story. When I'm in a certain circle of, of males with testosterone in a leadership group and we're all doing the theology question and asking how big is your church and how small is your church, you know, we're usually around 1,500 in those conversations. <laughs> <laughs> I usually do the weekly impact and tell them that their community is our church. We're not here to grow a big church, but a better community. So in one way, I'm not really lying. And so the other thing that I slightly edit is that I went to Bible college and studied theology. The truth is, I did go to Bible college. I did a two of a four-year course. I was thrown out after two years. But sometimes I edit the story depending on the circles that I'm in. And so the decisions we make, and now you're all thinking, I wonder what he did. Well, you could just get... Let that play in your mind. Go on, go wild, and, but keep it holy and keep it good. So I want to ask you the question this morning, before we bring our guests uh, up here to tell their story in a few weeks' time, how do you live a story worth telling? How do you live a story worth telling? How do you live a life that produces a story that you want to tell, that you don't want to edit, that you don't have to edit? How do you begin to tell a story? The answer, I believe, is found in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2. And this is phenomenal. You've read it. You've heard it, I'm sure, before. But it's a beautiful way to live a life, to live a story that you want to tell and not edit. And let me read the text for you this morning. It says, let us fix our eyes on who? He said, let us fix our eyes on who is what? the author, the writer, the storyteller of our lives, and the perfecter. Do you love that part? The one who perfects our faith. Because I don't know about you, but if it's left to my own devices, I ain't going to perfect anything. Defect maybe, but perfect, no. But if we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, wouldn't it be amazing if we let Jesus, the Son of God, become the author of our lives? So I'm not selling religion this morning. We're all stocked up in religion in this country. I ain't here to sell anything like that. But I do want to point you to the author who can help and who can rewrite the story of your life. A God that wants to engage with you and help you tell a better story. How do we live a story worth telling? I believe we fix our eyes on Jesus. We gaze on Jesus. It's a bit more than just staring into his face. It's actually following his every move. It's walking in step with the Spirit. It's fixing our gaze. Eyes on Jesus on a daily basis. He's the author and the perfecter of our faith. And he will help us tell the story that God wants us to tell. That God wants us to tell. So here's what we're going to do in the coming weeks. We're going to make some smart decisions. Because we've sure as heck made some dumb decisions. Right? No? Have you ever made a dumb decision? Matthew, I'm talking. That is a dumb decision to talk when I'm talking. Because I'm going to call you out during the conversation. Just for a guess, in case you think if he's going to speak, is he going to do this to me? Matthew's my son, so I feel total free reign to call him out on that. You with me now? Good boy. We're going to make some... Fight, fight. he, he, He loves us. He's a stir. So week one, we're going to decide to start. That's all we're going to do today. We're going to decide to start and do something. See, I don't know about you, but most people would do this kind of talk in January, but I do not want to start anything in January. Do you? I mean, I want to eat fish suppers. I want to eat Indian food, spicy food. I want to light the fire and eat things that make me healthy. 
in the inside <laughs> and make me feel warm. But I had no energy to do anything in January. But when it's lighter and it's brighter, I think the summertime's a great time to make some good decisions. Don't you? I really do. Uh, even just the natural light, you know, you're in the sun, you're in the light. And, uh, and so I want to encourage you to stay in the sun, the S-U-N, and this is really cheesy, stay with the sun, S-O-N. <laughs> and that'll tweet, not. <laughs> Bear with me. <laughs> Sally Ann Dickey. <laughs> She's a dentist, I'll be visiting her next week. There you go. He's not the same as he used to be. So we're going to start the we're going to start by just starting something. Discipline it helps us tell a story that God wants us to tell. So today I want you to begin to decide just to do something that can be life transforming. Now I don't want you thinking this morning about a business. I don't want you thinking about a book that you could write, as if you are. Maybe some of you are. You know, I don't know about you, but or I don't want you thinking about starting a ministry or doing anything brand new. We'll do that week three. But today we're going to, we're going to just start suffering a discipline. We're going to begin to do something. Today we're going to decide to start a discipline that can transform our lives. And we're going to look at, each week we're going to look at the Old Testament over the summer. I'm going to look at some of the characters there that made some decisions that changed the direction of the lives. And today I want to talk about a very famous story called Daniel in the Lion's Den. The lion's den, which is, which is an Old Testament story. It's a powerful story. And uh, I don't know about you, but I'm not a cat lover. And even in the Old Testament, I had a problem with cats way back in there. Whoops. And all you cat lovers out there, I love cats when there's mice. So if you know this story at all, let me bring you into the story. I don't want to assume that you know the story. Daniel was looked favorably upon by King Darius, right? King Darius, he selects 120 uh, really sharp cookies, people that are up to speed in intellect and culture and everything else are called satraps. And these were like, they're like governors. They've got a bit of authority um, and they rule the territory in which they live. And he picked up three men to be over 120 so there's, elite, there's this elite group of 120, and then there's three people that oversee the 120, which is a pretty big deal. And Daniel is one of the three. So he stands out in his integrity. He stands out in his leadership skills. He stands out that the king says, I want to put Daniel in charge of everyone. He stands out. And guess what? He's a follower of Yahweh. He's a follower of the king. And the other 120 guys, they, they, they're peeved off with it, Okay. Have you ever been in that situation in a club, in a society, in a, in a family where somebody takes a lead and everybody else is like, who do they think they are? Hmm? Do, you, do, do you ever, do anybody, all heads bowed, all eyes closed. I'm just looking for hands this morning. Anybody grumble about their boss? You grumble about your boss? You do, do you? So we're, there's sometimes we grumble, isn't it? When people go forward and lead, we, we like to grumble. It's kind of hard for us in Northern Ireland to fit into that sort of thinking, isn't it? So it's a stretch for you this morning. I do understand that. But allow me to stretch your thinking this morning. Sometimes we grumble when people lead. Leadership is lonely. And so Daniel is picked to, to lead these people, but they are really peeved off. And they say, we've got to put a, a stop to this sort of teacher's pet sort of thing. This newcomer, this, this 
My friend Derek Dickey says this, Johnny Big Potatoes. And so we pick up the story in Daniel chapter 6, verse 4 and 5. You doing okay? At this, the administration and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs. So they're looking for an RHI scandal. (laughs) I just thought I would put that. I'm just trying to be relevant. But they weren't able to do so. Stop right there. What was he doing? What were they doing? They're looking to get something on them. They're looking to dig the dirt. They're looking to, to find something. And, and, and I've got to be honest. You wouldn't have to go too far to dig the dirt in me. <laughs> and I'm a leader. Uh, and just before you get comfortable, it wouldn't take too much for me to dig the dirt in you too. All right. So that's just my defense mechanism right there. <laughs> but the Bible says it could not find corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Why is he trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent? Do you want me to tell you why? I've got the answer. I've cheated. I've read the book. Verse 5, finally these men said, (laughs) they're exasperated. I'm sure they just didn't spend an hour in this. I'm sure they spent time in this. They said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. Wow. Anybody guilty this morning? Wouldn't you like to be guilty about Jesus, about the law of God? Would you like to be caught red-handed in the gossip of the gospel? Would you? Would you like to be caught red-handed in your workplace that that can't find anything? But you know what? This person's just born. They don't even gossip. You know, you start to tell them some gossip and they shut the story down. They're boring. Would you like to be one of those people? Any boring people that don't engage in gossip and work? It's a great way to go. Great way to go. So they can't find anything on him because the only way that they could do that is to find something to do with his God, with his Yahweh. So they came up with a plan, as they do, as religious people always do. Religion and politics will always come up with a plan to destroy the spirit of Jesus Christ in our lives, right? There's always a political spirit going through history. There's always a political line that goes through society. There's always a religious spirit that goes through humanity from that day to this day. You'll always find a religious spirit that comes up with a plan that wants to attack man. So they basically went to the king and they said, hey, king. We've got a great idea. Wouldn't it be awesome? Wouldn't it, that sounds a bit American. Wouldn't it be cracker? For the next 30 days, no one would be allowed to pray to anyone or any God except for you, King. All right? Let's get the political thing up there again. Let's get the religious spirit. Of course, we're not banning prayer, but nobody else is allowed to pray except the King because you're just magnificent. No one except you. And if they pray to any other God, then guess what? Throw them to the lion's den. Throw them to the lions. Then the king said, sounds pretty cool to me. Well, he didn't really say that. I'm paraphrasing. Let's make a law. Let's make a law that no one prays to anyone but me. But me, sorry. And if they do, they'll be thrown into the lion's den. Simple. What a plan. So why was Daniel looked upon favorably? Why was he a man of integrity? Why was there no corruption found in him? 
Why did the king promote him to leadership? Why did he, he shine? Why did he stand out? Why did God show favor upon Daniel in the lion's den and deliver him from the lion's mouth of those hungry cats? Why? I'll show you why. Because years ago, Daniel started something. He made one decision. He made a start doing something that made him into the man of integrity that he became. Let me show you what his decision was. First 10 in Daniel 6. You ready? It should be behind me. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got up, he got down on his knees, and he did what? Giving thanks to his God. And let's read this last phrase together. Can we do that? Hopefully it's up here. This last line, just as he had done before. Let's just read that again. Just as he had done before. Just as he had done before. Think about this. Who knows for how long? Certain, certainly weeks, more likely months, perhaps years. Maybe even a decade. Maybe 10 years. Maybe more than that. Three times a day, Daniel stopped whatever he was doing. He made an appointment with this one true king, God. And he knelt down before God. And he aligned his heart with God. He fixed his eyes on king, on Yahweh, on Yahweh, Jehovah, Jireh. On God. He stopped and he worshipped his God. He prayed that God's will would be done in his life. He engaged with God three times a day. Whatever he was doing, he stopped, he dropped, and he prayed. I like that. He stopped, he dropped, and he prayed three times a day, regardless of what he's doing. That was his custom. And so this was his decision that he made years ago, and it became part of his everyday ordinary life. And that was the decision that informed him. That's the decision that told his story. And that's the decision that brought him into favor and greatness before great and many kings. Isn't it powerful? Something so small, Texas there. Why is he successful? Why is he the man of integrity? Why did he, he, look, why did he get looked upon with, with favor by a king? Why did he rise in influence? Because he made a decision. He started something three times a day. And God transformed his story into a story that God wanted Daniel to tell. It's, it's simple, isn't it? The decisions we make determine the stories we tell. The decisions we make determine the stories we tell. Let me ask you this, and I, I am saying it the right way because you think I've said it wrong. What does God want you to want? What does God want you to want? Another way to phrase it would be, what story does God want you to tell? What story are we telling in the midst of a culture that, that we have at the minute? What does God want us to tell? Would you be caught red-handed obeying the laws of God? Would that be your crime? Would your crime be that you're a Jesus follower and that you're not gossiping, that you're not giving in to society's way of living, that you are actually living the God story and telling the story of God and you're wanting what God wants in your life? Is that what you're about? Is that what you want for your family, your home, your business, your friends? What is it that God wants you to want? Michelle's getting up in the mornings and I, I sort of see it as if she's doing it for me because we're married and we're one. She gets up really early and spends time with Jesus, I spend time soaking in the presence of Jesus in my pillow. But she's been having some phenomenal conversations with God through her morning readings, and I'm stealing them. So today I'm going to tell you that I'm stealing this one. The other ones I won't tell you in the future. I'll just use them to my own good. But anyway, we were having this conversation in the car yesterday. It was Sabbath for us. We take a Saturday off and do nothing. And uh, what a great Sabbath we had. Have you ever had my... This is not a... This is not, I haven't been paid for this or anything before, but have you ever had Macari's ice cream in Armagh? Well, then you haven't lived. <laughs> it's as simple as that. 
So we had ice cream and then we went to Lockall Park, which that's okay, it's no big deal. I prefer Dungannon Park. It's too big a walk for me, to be honest with you. <laughs> and, uh, and then we just started talking about this here stuff. So anyway, she said something that just the penny dropped for me. And she was reading um, Mark, the Gospel of Mark. And you know that story where it talks about the rich ruler? I think we've presumed that he's a rich young ruler because he ran, but we don't really know what age he is. But there's a rich ruler who, who started on his way to Jesus, and then he starts to run at him, and he falls at his knees. Have you heard that story before? Uh, and he says, good teacher, he asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? How do I get in in the kingdom story? And Jesus says, why do you call me good? And he's playing in the conversation with him. He answers, no one is good except God alone, right? So he's saying, like, so you're saying I'm God? Isn't he a brilliant communicator? So you know the commandments, and they go through the commandments, and then teacher declared, I've kept all these since I was a boy. And then verse 21, this is what Michelle brought out to me, and this is just phenomenal. I've, I've read this and missed it, but now I've read it and saw it, and I love it. And I want to give it to you for free. He said that Jesus looked at him and loved him. Wow. See, I don't know about you, but the way I walk, the only thing I come out of that story is that he didn't sell his possessions, and he went away depressed. And it sounds like God's hard, doesn't it? It's like, oh, maybe I'd walk away depressed too. Imagine, imagine God told me to sell my Vespa. <laughs> like he would never do that, would he? He loves me. Imagine he told me to do that. Or it would be... <laughs> Do you hear a voice? <laughs> I discern that voice to be from the enemy. <laughs> It's like, we, that's what we walk away with thinking that. But listen, listen to the story. Actually, listen to the reality. is that Jesus looked at him and he loved him. And then he said, one thing you lack. He said, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. And what it means is that there is a love here. Jesus looks with love. And the reason that he looks for love, he knows what we need to hold on to. He looks at the man with love. And when he looks with love, he knows what we need to hold on to. And he also knows what we need to let go of. And his possessions was his prison. And he would never be free unless he let go of those things. And the, and the father heart always looks at what we need. Jesus looks at us not condemning. Jesus looks at us not with this wrath or this, this angst or this anger that we're, we're, we're wicked people. But he looks at us and he says, oh, stop it. I love you. And you're ruining your life here. You, you, the story won't be so good when you tell it because you've got this thing in your life. And he looks at the rich ruler and he says, I see something that's going to detract from your life. I see something that's going to be a burden to your life. I see something that won't cause you to live freely. I see something and therefore I want you to. And it's funny, in the Bible, he never asked anybody else to do the same thing. Now, he may do in our modern world. He may ask some of us to give up, and he does, actually. I've got friends in India who have given up everything, home in South Africa, a great lifestyle to go and to, to give their lives to the poor in, in unreachable villages in northern India. So I want to ask you the question this morning. If you're really honest, we'll sit back and say, yeah, this is the one area of my life that should be like this. If we look to the author, the one who writes our story, you can relax because he looks at you today with love.
And he wants to set you free. And he wants your story to be a good story. He doesn't want you editing. He doesn't want you feeling shame. He doesn't want you cheating on your story or removing things or feeling that you have to over-elaborate on the good things. He just wants you to tell a good story. A good story is worth telling all the time. And Jesus looks not with sternness, but with compassion. And he's good, right? You can trust him. Believe you me, you can trust him. I want to tell you this, and this is the truth. There is nothing that the Father has looked me in the eye and said, Jason, let that go that became a detriment to my life and stopped me from being a success. In fact, what I've left go of has made me the man I am today. A good father, a better father, a good husband, a better husband, a way better employee, somebody who wants to learn to educate themselves and to strive on and pursue what the God story is for me. See, I've never had a conversation with Jesus, I don't know about you, when he looked at me with love and said to me, Jason, for you to be free, let go of this. That was never a loss to my life. Everything that Jesus asked me to let go of, I've gained and so much more. Is that your story? Is that your story? So again, let me ask you the question one more time. What story does God want you to tell? It could be some of you, God wants you to have the right priorities. Because right now it's not happening that way. And it could be five years, three years. It could be months. It could be weeks even. Did you start the right thing today? Your story might be something like this. Well, several years ago, I wasn't a great husband. I wasn't a great mother. I wasn't a great spouse. I was pursuing career and anything else that was on, on my radar. But God... And I told myself I was doing this for my family. I was doing this for the betterment of my career and everything else. And I started. Started something really simple. I started coming home on time. Isn't that mad? Some of you maybe need to hear that. I started coming home at 6 o'clock instead of 8 o'clock or 9 o'clock. I got involved with my kids' lives. I started listening to their stories and catch up with them. I became a better father, a better spouse, a better mother. What does God want you to want? What does God want you to want? I want every one of you just to take some time, really, seriously, in this room right now, I don't know what your experience of church is, but church is about connecting with each other. It's not this building. It's about connecting together with each other and connecting with Yahweh and Jesus Christ, right? Under the spirit and the presence of God. So I just want you to write now, just to stop, maybe get your phone out, maybe write something down, maybe just think it about in your mind or whatever way you want to do it. But I want you to just stop for a moment, take some time right now and write down, maybe in a blank piece of paper or on your phone or whatever or in your mind, what does God want you to want? What does God want you to want? And then I'll bring some application to you. What does God want you to want? What does God want you to want? So it's not about what to start. It's just what does God want you to want? Better father? Better employee? A less stressed person? What do you need to start? Are you there? Not a lot of writing. Should I close my eyes and let you write? I can see what you're writing from here. 
here's the key. The application is, what do you need to start in order to tell the story that God wants you to tell? What do you need to start to live the story that God wants to spread among your family, your friends, your peers, or whatever? Here's the key. Just do one thing. Don't decide to do seven things, five things. Talking to Johnny Burney about this this morning. I don't know about you, but in life before, I was so enthusiastic about wanting to change things, you know, and I, I would literally try and read the Bible in a day. Have you ever tried that? And you get to Genesis chapter 30, and you're like, I'm exhausted. Or you try and change seven things. On a Monday, Michelle used to work, and I used to take the day off, and she'd come back, and I'd have a wardrobe stuck on the stairs. No kidding. And the reason it got stuck on the stairs is to save my life, actually. I was bringing it down the stairs, and the thing came flying towards me. It got stuck. And then I would have paint out. And then I'd decide to cook her something nice for a meal. And then I'd decide maybe it was about that time of year when I'd wash the car again. And then I would try and do something with a drill. And I'm never good with a drill. And she would come home to a wardrobe stuck. This is a true story, right? A wardrobe stuck in the hallway, paint lying out, a dinner half cooked, and the place just looking like chaos. <laughs> because I decided to start some things. But I want you to start one thing, not four things or seven things. And the truth is this, if you try and do seven things, you're not going to, it's not going to happen. So it's better to train over trying, right? What I mean by that? Train, do one thing, start small. See, if I decided today I was going to run a marathon, if I tried to do that, I'd probably do about 18 miles and then <laughs> get tired, right? Wouldn't it? All right, I'm exaggerating, 17 and a half. But if I train, if I do one thing, if I go out and do, say, five minutes, 10 minutes or whatever, training over trying is always better. Just do one thing. Just do one thing and see where that takes you. When you start that today, then you start to tell the story in the future. So here's a question for you. What does God want you to start? It's deeply spiritual, isn't it? What does God want you to start? In light of what God wants you to want, what does he want you to start? What is the discipline? What is the habit? Some of you right now, you might have an insecurity. It might be an, might be, you might have an overeating problem. You might have an addiction. You might have an extreme, like I used to have, I hope I'm, I'm trying to simmer it, extreme request for material things. It might be bad thought processing. It might be unforgiveness. Maybe you need to start counseling. Maybe you need to start to hang out with people who who give you wisdom. You say, here's some lies that you've been leaving. You've been believing that. Stop believing those lies. And they speak truth into your life and your mind starts to be renewed and you start to tell a better story. Does that make sense? Some of you might be married and your marriage is not what it could be or should be. And you know you've just been floating along and you may need to start one thing in your marriage. One thing in your marriage, you might decide to start praying together. Right? That's a pretty good thing because... Here's the thing about praying together. It's kind of hard to stay bitter and hard when you're praying to God, right? And unforgiving. And you can't stay mad for long when you're talking to God. At least I can't. It's always, he always like gets you, doesn't he? He always seems to get your heart. Or what? Maybe some of you just need to, you know, I haven't been on your own since 1979. And you've just always been kid-focused and children focused and you've not prioritized your marriage. Maybe for some of you it's just setting a day a week. I hate the cheesy yank version of it, but they call it a date night. But you can call it a date night if you want. Sounds expensive, I know. 
That's why I take her to Macari's <laughs> for a 99. She does get flavoring, <laughs> but it's at no extra cost. And then we go to the park and we park outside the park so you'd have to pay to get into the park. I think the most expensive place I've taken Michelle recently is the petrol station. <laughs> 60 quid, nothing to show for it. In all seriousness, you may need to look back and say, hey, we're going to start to get a loan for two or three hours a week. That's spiritual, isn't it? Yeah, it is deeply spiritual because your marriage is the best thing that you can have for your life, for your family, and dare I say, for our community at large. Husband and wife. Some of you, when you look at your spiritual life, it's flat. Summertime's a great time to, to dial back into Jesus, to be friends with God the Father. Amen? We, we, we think that it's winter time that we start to read more and do more and pray more. Well, maybe it is, but this is a great time to look at your life and say, do I, have, do I need a revival in my spiritual life as well as my physical life? Do I need to start getting out with God and getting alone with God? Do I need to get up in these brighter mornings a little bit earlier and just maybe just read a verse for the day? Maybe that one thing for you is downloading a, a Bible app and reading a verse of Scripture in the morning and sitting still before Jesus. That's one good thing that you'll be telling a better story in the future. Because you've done it. Maybe you need to make, and you, you're, going to, you're going to figure that I'm going to say this as a pastor, right? But I've been practicing this way before I got paid to do this job. Maybe you need to prioritize the gathering together with the church. And not just occasionally or, or sparsely or whenever it's convenient to do that. And, and guys, we're trying to work with you over the summer. And that's the reason we're going to the 10 o'clock service that you come gather. We do life together. We sing together as a community of faith. We uh, invite the presence of Yahweh, Jesus, to come. Invite the Holy Spirit presence to come. And then we're giving you free time the rest of the day. But we're asking you to prioritize the gathering together with the community of faith. Maybe it's being a prayer warrior. Some of you love the idea of praying, but you just just can't figure out where to start. I want to encourage you to start by coming here on a Tuesday maybe. Just go up there for an hour in your day. Even if you can't afford an hour, try 15 minutes. All right? There is no buzzer. It doesn't self-lock for an hour. You can, you can get out of that room in five minutes if need be. So don't panic. There's nobody sending you in for an hour. Well, there is true. We do put a bolt over it in a lock and somebody stands out the, outside the door and we do listen in. Joke, big fat joke, that's a lie. We don't do any of that at all. But maybe you just need to do that. Maybe uh, for some of you, you need to figure out about, you know, when September comes, let's, let's do life group. Let's get into the community, let's do one thing. You may need to start being part of that. Or maybe you need to start making God's word a real priority in your life. And I mean, do you want to be spiritually strong? Then you want to read the scripture, not to find out more, because when you read the scripture, it introduces you to the author of the scripture. One of the ways that you fix your eyes on the author of your faith is to read his word. It's the only book, I keep saying it, it's the only book that you're ever open, open when the author will always be present. All right, you don't have to go to Eason's or anywhere else for a book signing. When you open up the scripture, the author is always present because it is spirit breathed and the spirit is there to engage with us. I don't know what you need to start, but, but chances are you do need to seek God. You do need to start something, right? And you need to do it today. The decisions you make today will determine the story that you tell tomorrow. Football's coming. 
I need to wrap it up. <laughs> Match starts at one o'clock. It's amazing what motivates you, isn't it? Okay. I want to show you, let me finish up with a really cool story. Well, I think it's cool to me anyway, and hopefully it will motivate you this morning in this beautiful season of summer. From 1 Kings chapter 20, verse 13 and 14. I'll just read it to you because I believe it, it speaks very directly. It's about King Ahab of Israel. When a prophet said that God is going to give this opposing army into your hands, verse 13. Meanwhile, a prophet came, Ahab, king of Israel, and announced, this is what the Lord says. Do you see this fast army? It's his opposition, right? He says, I will give it into your hand today, and then you will know that I am the Lord. That's a pretty good deal. I'm like, that's brilliant. Verse 14, the king asked the question that we would ask, who's going to do this? Seems a very logical question, doesn't it? Who's go- oh, that sounds brilliant. Love it. Who's going to do it? Who's going to do it? Who will do it? And the prophet replied, well, this is what the Lord says. The young officers of the provincial commanders will do it. Will do it. And then they have asked the question. Everybody asked. And this, do you fancy asking this aloud? Who will start the battle? Let's try it. After three. Three. One more time. Green black slips are not moving. He'd make a brilliant tranquilogus, if I could say it. One more time. So we're in a battle, right? We're in a battle against culture, against discipline, against whatever is out there, time and, and money and, and uh, resources and, and stuff. We're in a battle, right? So the battle is, the question we need to ask ourselves this morning is, who will start the battle? Who will start the battle? He asked the prophet. And I love his answer. You will. You will. So I want to ask you the question as we're finishing off this morning. Who's going to start the discipline that will tell the story that God wants you to want and God wants you to tell? Who will? I will. You will. Who's going to start it? Who's going to start it? It's not rhetorical. Who's going to start it? Okay, let's not get corporate now because you, you can say that well I was actually speaking on half of Michelle let's say I will who's going to start it yeah. brilliant let's start the battle let's start the decision making he will help you write this, the right story he will help you write the right story I've said way too much let's stand